Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everyone. Excited to have you tuning in today for some more learning on the podcast. If you missed last episode, be sure to head back and listen to that first. That's part one of my conversation with professional dog trainer, Nina Russell, as we talk about puppies with big feelings. Today, we're going to continue that conversation. Let's dive in. Are there other, you know, as you're watching the excitement of the dog and you're watching whether or not the behavior might be productive or not, how much of this happens in training versus how often do you see this pop up kind of unexpectedly, say at a trial or something like that for the first time? Um, you know, trialing is, uh, is, is a whole different ball game. And I think ideally nothing unexpected should happen at trial. So if you're ready to trial, you kind of know what could go wrong. And if, like, even though it may be, there may be unexpected elements, it's not like, like, oh, I, my dog has never done that before. Usually if, if you look back, there's been hints, like maybe it hasn't, wasn't that exact thing, but maybe in training, um, they're having, they're a little bit slow to look away from an oncoming, like if you're trying to pass a dog, they're a little bit slow on their on by, but it's not a huge deal. Um, and then but you just kind of ignore it and don't think about that you had to say on by three times every time you pass a dog. And then like in a race, maybe it uh, becomes an issue or in a trial, you know, the disobedience piece has fallen apart a little bit but doesn't seem like a huge deal. And then it falls apart completely in a trial. So I think in training, all those, like if, if you're, if you're looking at competing, that's where like a good mentor can help and or a good club or spotter. So they can see the things that you're not seeing um, and help you realize what are problems that may not seem like big problems. Um, so that stuff should be addressed in training, ideally. Um, you should be showing them little pictures. And if you see the picture deviate from what it should look like, um, then that, sh- that should be a training issue that you, that you tackle. Is that, I felt like that was a little convoluted. No, no, no. I, that made, that made sense. I mean, I agree in the sense that like, trialing or going to a race is very different than practice. I mean, even just the energy level at an event like that, the amount of distractions at an event like that, to some extent, I do feel like there's only so much preparing you can do, right? A lot of times you have to say, okay, well, we've kind of hit all of the check marks on our training list. And well, we've done what we can to help generalize this performance, we'll say, or this routine. Um, and now we kind of have to see how this will hold up when we go to an event. And I think it's really important the first time you go 
to be observing your dog, to be observing you, you know, what changes, what are you having a hard time with? Because all of that is information that you can then take back with you at home and bring back to practice. Now, one of the things that I know is pretty common with any dog sport, you know, this is something I do for nose work. This is something I do for barn hunt, right? Is some kind of warm up and cool down routine. Um, and I do find that for my dogs, at least the more consistent we can be with that, the better. But I find that with our puppies who might have big feelings by the time they're ready to trial as adult dogs or go to a race as adult dogs, they often still kind of have big feelings, right? Like that's, we have more tools in our toolbox as a trainer to help them regulate those emotions. And hopefully through our training, we've given our dog some of those tools so that they can learn to self-modulate a little bit. But how important is it for you and for your clients to have a really consistent, you know, set of patterns for that warm up and cool down? Um, I think it is non-negotiable. Um, it is only fair. It's the it's stance, right? Where we're letting, we're giving our dogs the opportunity to, to really indulge in these, just the core of their dogness. Um, and they're going to be big and fast and hard and strong and um, intense and and sometimes working away from us. You know, even if we're talking about nose work, which we don't think of as like big and hard, you know, big and fast and intense, they're working away from us and it's still, they're still intense. And it, if we're asking them to commit themselves fully to the task within these weird parameters that we have created through the games that we play or through um, a job that we're having them do professionally, then we owe it to them to set them up for success with telling them what to expect. Um, because we do have some very odd expectations when we talk about sport. Um, it, we're, 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 you know, most sports are based on a real life need that dogs still do or did at one point um and then we've like turned it into a competition and so we have these wonky rules um that don't like meet none of the dog's needs like <laughs> the dogs don't understand like why we start at the gate and stop at the gate or whatever it is you know if you're doing obedience um so and i i don't know if we're using a sled dog to like bring supplies, we're probably not going in like a loop-de-loop -loop two mile pattern <laughs> you know, to, to get supplies there. So um, it's so important to let them know what is happening because we've attached all our expectations to that pattern, to that start pattern, so that the dog can understand these expectations are in place. Um, first for the dog, but also what I will be doing, um, how I will support you, or how I'll be communicating with you, um, what uh, rewards are in play at the moment. Um, all of that is really, is really non-negotiable. So at what point in this puppy rearing process 
you know, of course, for every training session we have, we have clear communication that a session is going to start. We ask the puppy if they can work. Can you take food? Can you engage? Right. We have the training session and we end it and we give them the cue. We're all done. They get to disengage and go do something else. But at what point do you start thinking about that competition prep or that race prep and saying, okay, this is when I want to start to tie that whole picture together for this puppy. And now I'm going to start having, even in training sessions, this very formal, you know, start routine and end routine. Uh, from the very first session, but it will, it'll get more complex usually as, as I move along to so like an eight or nine week old puppy just doesn't have the mental space to like this big long process but I might have a, like if I'm going to do scent work or like I'm working with my puppy on article indication, um, we set it up the same way every time. So he had no idea what's going on, but I went ahead and put the leash on and picked him up and walked him over to this area, put him down and we walk up to where the article training is going to be. Like that's the same every time. Now, when it turns into a tracking start pattern, then it, it's a little bit more depth because the dog can hold more in their brain. Um, and then I've also found that it's, it's kind of a, a thing that gets bigger than smaller. So as we move into teenage, I might have like, this, like step after step, like here's what we're doing. And then it shrinks as, as we get more um, experience. So um, it might take me if we're training for 15 minutes, the start pattern might be five minutes with a, an adolescent dog, um, just to like get their brain in the right place. And for an experienced child dog, it may be two behaviors and we're ready to hit the field. Love that. I, and I think it's so important to make that distinction, right? Because developmentally, not only what the puppy or dog can kind of retain in their brain and handle um, for you know work duration, but also what they're going to need emotionally is going to shift as they go through these different developmental stages. So, you know, while you might think, okay, you know, I've got a adolescent puppy that things have been going really well. Well, now we've hit that teenager phase. Emotional regulation is really different, and they might need a much longer warm up you know, to get themselves checked in and engaged for you to make sure that that brain is working before you start doing your activity versus an adult, they're a little bit more seasoned. They've done it before. It's like we have then reached the point where we've set that strong foundation and it's easier for them to jump into working mode and then back out of working mode. Yeah. Yeah. So it it helps keep you safe too, like keep you safe and keep the dog safe. Um, Right because they, you know, like, especially with my breed, if, if you're going to get bit, it's usually as a, when they're a teenager, um, so you really have to be aware of, of helping, like, I know it was fine yesterday, and it was fine last week, but it is not, it's not fine now, um, and it's really tempting to, like, just push through, or just make the dog do it, um, or, like, I really wanted to work on this, so I, I want to, you know, hurry up and get to the field. I know that you're not really checked in with me, but I really need to work on this today. Um, and then it's usually a disaster. 
absolutely. And I think too, that that's where it's really important for us as humans to be flexible because when we know we're working with a puppy or an adolescent that has big feelings about things, it can be really easy for them to be tipped over what they're able to handle, you know, and then we can see kind of a behavioral outburst or a tantrum, if you will, if too much pressure is put on and maybe human expectations are unrealistic. So as you're working with an adolescent or one of these puppies with big feelings, you know, we'll start with baby puppies because that might look a little different than our teenagers. How, what do you physically see from them and kind of what is your in the moment management strategy or training strategy to help kind of safely get both of you guys out of that? Um, Like for a, a tantrum type situation or? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it, it depends on what's happening. Um, the times I see it most often, it's usually restraint, um, like being behind a barrier, like we can't, either we can't get to the field fast enough, or I'm trying to put the leash on or put the equipment on. Um, I see lots of people struggling with trying to get their dog in their equipment or in their harness. We use harnesses in, um, in protection. Um, but you know, if you're going to the trail too, for, uh, uh, trail hike, trying to yeah. get them uh, dressed. Um, or if you're putting them up like five minutes, um, switch dogs and they're in the crate. Uh, another time is when we pull up to the place, you know, it doesn't take very many sessions for them to figure yeah. out when we pull up and stop and I get out what, you know, we're, we're getting ready to work, especially when I start putting my gear on, um, they know what time it is. So um, if I can use food, like a lick project or a chew project, I will use, I will use that. And that is a skill, not something that I can rely on as it's going to work. Like I'll just, um, you know, throw a, a frozen pacifier in when my dog hasn't really had a history of learning to use that. Um, you might get away with it with a baby puppy because their food, their, their food motivation and eating behavior is typically very high and can overcome environmental stuff but that wears off fairly quickly um so uh, that is that is a skill that I have worked on from the beginning knowing that like if I started at eight or nine weeks knowing that about 12 to 14 weeks my puppy's gonna have started figuring out training sessions so I have built in gradually teaching them to take a pacifier under more and more challenging situations. And that kind of gets built into the whole training session. So I'm going to try and use a pacifier when I, when that's appropriate. Um, if it's, if it's not because I can't have my dog eat, um, then I might do a, a hard chew bone or a shred project. Um, again, we're, I'm, I'm thinking more like if the dog is in a crate, um, or waiting to go. Um, so I've had clients that their dogs are, are struggling, waiting to get to the agility ring. So um, they're really excited. So we go away and we let them shred something or like chew on a hard bone because um, they're not going to like eat a meal before they go run. Um, but it, that, is, that is a skill and it cannot be used, it rarely can be used successfully if you haven't built it. Um, with putting equipment on, we start low 
low arousal and teach that as a skill. Um, and if I'm having problems, I may just abandon the equipment and just say, okay, we're going to work, like we're going to pivot and work on something else if that, if that behavior is not holding together. Um, and maybe it also looks like getting some, some energy out and then coming back. So if I'm starting to try and like get dressed and the dog like just cannot handle it, maybe I just kind of like, uh, not lunge line them, but you know, like let them run in a circle on a flexi lead um, for a few minutes uh, and then come back and try again. So um, the restraint one is also a big one. And I, um, I do teach this to puppies um, especially my shepherds and my Malinois, because I really need them to understand that they cannot use their teeth to say no, um, because they will. And so I will, I will provoke a little bit of a tantrum at home to show them what the answer is. And this, this is really um, pretty nuanced. But it is really important because these dogs can be so dangerous um, in the raw, like if, if we don't tackle this, um, particularly Malinois, because they don't, there's, there's times like putting the leash on or putting them in the crate where they just get really um, a little bit stupid um, with, with their feelings. So it might look like I want to make sure that I have really good feelings on both sides of a of a line and the line is their tantrum. So like they like being in the crate and they like being out of the crate, but for they're having a trouble transitioning to getting in the crate. And so they're going to like scream or snap if you try and put them in the crate, but it shouldn't last more than a second, like one 1000 and then they go in and they're like, they're happy. And that is something that I think, um, is kind of unique to some of some of the bigger feeling dogs, um, where I don't I don't typically advocate for making a dog feel distressed, but they do have to learn that they can't use their teeth in order to get out of a required behavior. And so I am not saying that that's how I introduce the grief. And I'm not saying that that is um, something that should happen repeatedly, but it, it, it's a little bit like dock diving um, where you have a dog who's comfortable and will play and stuff on the dock and they love to swim as well. And then they get to the edge and they get stuck there, right? And mm -hmm. especially if you have a breed like, border collie or some of our herding breeds or even some of the sensitive northern breeds um with my Akita, if you let them sit in that space of of being unsure and you know that they want to go but they just don't know how to take that step i will help them take that step and that really just might look like one one thousand two one thousand of pressure down the ramp so they go I don't know, I don't know. Okay, oh, this is great. And it really should not last long, but it's very important to teach them that I have your back. And if I'm asking you to do this necessary thing, and it really is necessary for you to sometimes go in a crate um, or go into a vehicle, 
if I'm asking you to do it, I will do everything to support you and make, and make it fair and enjoyable. But there are some things that are non-negotiable. Um, and, and you can't throw a tantrum to get out of it. Because um, this is where we get your 80-pound shepherd alligator rolling, biting because they don't want to get in the car. Um, and not because they hate the car. Like that's, I think, the thing that is, it is um, a disconnect for people is you know, like they love riding or they love going and it, they hit this point where it's a transition. It's not about the thing, it's the transition. And mm-hmm. some dogs will just resist because it works. And, and I don't know what's going on in their head, but we have to learn to, to move through that in a way that's safe for everyone. And I'd love to hear your thoughts too, because I know it's a little bit of a, it's, it's nuanced to explain, and it, but I see what happens when we don't do it. I think it's really important to work on those transitions and to work on giving the dog both choice, right, when appropriate, and really conditioning the crate or a tie out and the sport so that they love all the things. But when dogs have big feelings about things, they might have something else on their brain and they might not want to do what we're asking. And so there do become those moments where we might be between a transition. And like you said, it's not like the dog doesn't like the car. You know, that car crate has been really heavily conditioned. The dog enjoys being in there and knows how to relax in there. But in that moment, they're having a hard time. And I agree. I think that it's one of those situations that when we know that we've got a puppy with big feelings and we know we're going to be doing an activity that they're going to have really big feelings about, I think it's essential for us as caregivers and trainers to be thinking about that big picture and to be thinking about potential, you know, trap points like this, where the dog might have other ideas and what are we going to do in the moment? Because when we have, you know, my, my girl right now is 72 pounds. And if I really needed to, I probably could still pick her up, but it was much easier when she was 11 weeks when I brought her home. Right. And so I think a lot of the times when we're dealing with these puppies, when they're younger, if they don't want to do something, I mean, a lot of people are like, fine, if you don't want to walk, I'll just pick you up and put you in your crate. Right. But there's going to become a point where you're not going to be able to do that, whether because they're too big, like my boy, who's 85 pounds, I'm not picking him up and putting him in his crate. Right. So we have to be thinking towards that big picture to the point where they are going to be big dogs, where they are going to be big dogs that weigh a lot and have teeth and have emotions, right? It's a safety point for everybody. But I love what you said as well about when we're thinking about these management strategies and these things we're going to be doing in the moment, these are not things we can simply just do in the moment. They're things that have to be trained ahead of time. You know, like the food that you're talking about, we, if I'm going to be using some kind of activity almost as a pacifier in the moment to help keep the dog quiet, it's not like I can just throw it in there and the dog's going to be comfortable with it. I've got to teach them and slowly get them used to doing these things in slowly increasing difficulty environments, right? And I think that that can be, that idea, I think, is one of the more challenging pieces of 
training a puppy with big emotions to do the sport that they're going to have big emotions in. There's so many little components that we have to be thinking about and building these strong foundations of what we expect from them. We can't just simply do training at home or once a week, you know, at a new place and expect them to be able to have not only that training foundation, but also that emotional regulation once they get to do the activity, especially in a trial or race-like setting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something that I, I think I did it naturally. And it was only through working with clients that, you know, you hear, well, we try to pass fire, it doesn't work. We try to food scatter, it doesn't work. And um, realize how much of a skill it actually is. Like we cannot just use it as um, a get out of jail free card for most dogs. Sometimes you can get away with it, but um, for most dogs, you can't. Well, especially dogs with big feelings, right? Because we know that as excitement or arousal increases, interest in food decreases. So if I've only worked on food scatter a couple times and it's not something that we has, even though I'm using it as a management strategy, it needs to become a cue, right? The dog needs to learn it as a behavior. When my, when my person says this, I know to watch for their hand and I'm going to go eat it. And they need a big history of reinforcement of that behavior in different environments to simply be able to handle it when they're excited, right? Let alone excited or aroused and in a new environment with distractions around and other dogs, right? We get all of that, all of those distractions kind of compounding on top of one another. And it's unrealistic to expect a dog to be able to simply handle it or even for us to use management, certain management strategies in those environments. So I think it comes down to knowing what that big end picture is going to look like in terms of the environment and in terms of behaviors that we're going to need our dog to do. And then really making sure we're being mindful about teaching those necessary behaviors and giving our dogs opportunities to practice them with various distractions and excitability. And then always keeping an eye on the dog as well and saying, I see our emotions are getting a little out of check. You know, I need to have a in the moment game plan as well that says, communicates to my dog that this is not what we're going to rehearse, right? So that that behavior doesn't get stronger. And I need to have tools to then help bring that arousal level back down. So let's say for a moment that you bring one of these big feelings puppies or teenagers out on some kind of training session and excitability gets a little bit too high. One of my, you know, in besides just ability to take food or observe, I personally tend to use a little bit of motion. I do find for a lot of these big feelings puppies they, and, and kind of higher drive puppies, they need to move and kind of have that physical outlet. So how often are you, you know, allowing those other outlets and seeing if the brain can recover versus saying, this is too much. I need to, you know, completely end this and get out of this. Um, that's a good question. So I think it, it depends on the dog um, because motion can work for some dogs and it can send other dogs up. Um, like the puppy I'm raising right now, 
um, really, if you are like puppy biting is just not, it's just not something that is an issue for me. Um, it's just the lifestyle and how I interact. Like it just doesn't, I just don't have puppy biting problems except walking this puppy wants to target feet. Um, and so for him movement, if I move, um, that's going to work him up. Um, so getting him to move, if I can get him to move away from me, it would work. But again, we have a, a big feeling puppy who um, I'm their whole world. And so that's a bit different than the dog who wants to very um, externally motivated, like wanting to be out doing other things. And I'm, I'm having to ask for their engagement. So, and your question was, how do I differentiate between like, I'm gonna work through this or I'm gonna scrap it. So um, I feel like even if I'm scrapping it, I'm still working through it because I'm gonna make use of whatever, I'm gonna make use of the time. So even if it's yeah. like, okay, well, this is not going well. Um, even going back to the car or doing all done, I'm still gonna do it mindfully. Um, to, to help build that pattern for them. So um, even if I need to get out of dot, so I, these days I rarely get to a point where I'm just like really in over my head. Um, and so for clients, my advice might be like, if you get to that point, um, then just get out of there however you can. For me, I'm going to really be looking at like what happened, take note of that and then use use the get out of dodge as training. Um, so whether it's, um, I'm gonna pick the puppy up or um, we're gonna walk back a certain way or I'm gonna say, let's go and then run with the puppy. Like it just kind of depends on what, what's happening, but I'm, I'm still gonna make it count, right? Like mm -hmm. um, even, if we're, even if we're bailing, I still want there to be some okay. lesson, whether it's like, I'm gonna support you or um, this is how we end things or you know, what, just something. I, I want it to be still a val valuable time. I don't wanna feel like I wasted my time. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And I do feel like that almost kind of translates to how I interact with dogs in general. It's like, I think a lot of people view training just as like a, single session, five or 10 minutes and we're done. And while, yeah, that's all I'm actually spending with food in a formal session at a given time, just like us, our dogs are always learning, you know, every always. interaction they have, they're taking something away from that. And so I think it is important to always have that mindset of what's going on. How is our relationship right now? you know, how can I support you? How can I get you engaged again? How can I help you recover? How can I keep myself in check and calm and collected so yeah. that I don't do something I'm going to regret or that you're then going to look at me like you don't trust me. You know, there's so many different things that can go on that I think it's always important to kind of just be mindful about how we're interacting with our dogs and the headspace that we're in before we go into a training session, because 
it can be easy for these puppies with big feelings to tip over, right? And that can even be a test of our patients, <laughs> right? And so kind of always having that idea of you are always learning around me. I need to make sure that what we're learning is productive and how we both get out of this is in a way that our relationship stays intact, even if I didn't accomplish exactly what I wanted to. Yeah. I think emotional mindfulness is very important when you have for you for us as handlers is really important when we have big feelings puppies. Um, and I think that setting the tone and even if you're feeling lost, um, you know, fake it till you make it. Like some of these these dogs, a lot of times they do want to know that you've got things handled. And so, like, I tell people, um, you know, be the captain of the ship. Like, even if you're like, what is happening, right? Like, even in your mind, if you start to think there, take a breath and move purposefully. So you're going, we're going back to the car. And I'll even, I will say it out loud. Um, it's not that they know that cue or that it isn't even is a cue. Um, but it sets intention. And I think that's really important. If you set intention, your body tends to fall in line. Um, and if you're lost in your head, then your body's doing things you don't even know about. And either your dog's going to check out on you, or they're going to cue into that, or they're going to get more worried um, or excited or whatever it is. So um, if you need to say it out loud, like, and we're done, we're going back to the car and you go. Um, something that I say with my dogs is don't bite me. Do not bite me. Um, and it's usually, the dogs don't know that. And I mean it not puppy biting, but like they get too worked up and they want to just take a shot because they have feelings. Um, and that's what Malamars do is they bite things. Um, and it's not that I'm worried they're going to attack me. It's that I see that it's building. And it's a, it's a mental note to myself that things are getting to a certain place where I am likely to get bitten. It also tells my spotters who I'm working with, the people that are helping me, that I might have just been working on healing or whatever it is, and I am now transit. Like I'm now, whatever I do next, it's, it's because I have this thing that I'm focusing on. Um, so my dogs don't know what do not bite me means. Um, I, you know, I don't train it anyways, but it, it's an intention that I set when I know things are getting a little bit high. Um, I know that I'm losing the brain a little bit. Um, so your own intentions and your own emotions really do matter. And I know it's, it's I know it's, I'm not saying like, oh, just don't be anxious or just don't be I know that's not how it works, but you do as a handler need some tools that you can reach for. Um, and they don't have to be extravagant. Like it can be as simple as saying something aloud that sets the intention for how you're going to do something or where you're going to go. Like we're walking to that pole, you know, we're putting your harness on. Um, and it, it, it helps um, kind of bring you back to a clear goal um, and a clear mindset where we don't have all the rest of the noise coming in. 
Yeah, I think it can kind of be a grounding moment for you so that you're not letting your head, you know, kind of take you to places that shouldn't. You're staying in the moment, staying with your dog and kind of, okay, this is what we can do. This is what we're going to do. And then moving towards that with intention. I think that's great because, you know, I mean, most of this episode, we talked about the dogs because let's face it, puppies with big feelings are really hard, but it's also hard as a human caregiver to live with and train a puppy with big feelings. You know, I mean, it often comes with a lot of drive and excitement for the sport, which a lot of people who are into sports love. We're very grateful for that, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard some days, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I love, I love big feeling puppies. Um, I love them. And, and it is hard some days. Uh, even if you have like us, we live very dog centric lives Mm -hmm. and it's hard to even compare to your average pet owner who doesn't have all these things in place. Um, and it's, I think it can even be hard for us still who like our whole lives are built around the dog from our vehicles to our house setup, um, to our schedules. Um, and so if, if you don't have the luxury of all that and you work a nine to five, you know, and live in a, a regular house <laughs> and you have one of these, do- these big feelings puppies, it is absolutely hard. Um, and you need to take care of you too and focus on where you are because your dog will, will respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing too is that knowing that it's okay to ask for help. So if you feel like I don't know what to do, I'm really stressed out or I'm unhappy, I'm overwhelmed, I need to do better. Any of those ideas should be a cue to you as a human to say, I need help. Let me go find help, whether that is a human professional to work on emotions and mindset or whether it is a dog professional, somebody really experienced like you. And I know that you've got some upcoming tools for our puppies with big feelings that will be virtual. So I will be sure to drop a link to that um, in our show notes for our listeners. But do you want to kind of give anybody a little teaser as to what they might be able to expect um, in terms of content from, you know, helping their puppy at home that has big feelings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I love big feelings puppies. And, feelings, I love puppies with big feelings. And so I really want to help um, other people enjoy them because they are so enjoyable. And so I've got um, a virtual workshop on big feelings puppies. And so we talk about the actual skills involved in focusing on FOMO or fear of missing out. We talk about triaging life skills. What do you need right now? Um, what can you let go of? What's going to help you? Um, and tantrums and um, restraint equipment, like all those things that are going to help you if you have a puppy with big feelings. Um, we're going to give you some tangible skills that should lay the foundation for um, cooperation and clear communication. Awesome. Well, before we head out today, Nina, any last pieces of advice or, or words that you want to leave our listeners with on uh, living with a big feelings puppy? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I'm terrible at the, uh, <laughs> the, at the elevator call. speech. Yeah. 
Um, I think it mostly just enjoy them. Remember why you got them if, if you got them for a reason. Um, and if you are one of the people that, that thought you were getting a uh, calm dog and you ended up getting a uh, hobby, <laughs> then enjoy it and um, look for ways to work with and not against. Huge. Absolutely. Learning to be a teammate instead of two that are just fighting against each other all the time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Nina, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate this. And I, I know that there are people out there that <laughs> needed to hear this conversation and it does get better. If we're laying yeah. those strong foundations, it does get easier. Yeah. There really is nothing like it when they, when you have a dog who has these huge feelings and you get to that, that place where you're working together and uh, they pour their whole soul into the activity that you guys are doing together. Yep, absolutely. I hope that you guys are enjoying these episodes. And if you're looking to stay connected, don't forget about our social media channels. You can find us at Positively Dog Powered on Facebook and over on Instagram. And if you'd like to get a little more information, behind the scenes updates, some training tips and videos, and even early access to great episodes like this one, you can join our Patreon community. For as little as $1 a month, you can help support this show so that we can keep bringing you training content right into your speakers. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails. Thank you.